This message by Sam Shin, entitled Made for Heaven, was recorded at Wellspring Church on July 14, 2019. The text for this message is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 49. Another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earth earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another of the moon, another glory of the stars. For stars differ from stars in glory. So it is with the, with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown in perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as, as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We go back to speaking on heaven, no longer about hell, and so I hope that makes you happy. Um, but this chapter in First Corinthians is probably the most detailed chapter uh, of the Bible that speaks of what happens to our physical bodies after we die and what it looks like for all of us when you believe in Christ and what, at least physically, what your life will be like. And I'm sure for most of us, that's somewhat um, odd because we probably can't imagine having a physical body after death. And so hopefully through this text and this passage that Paul very logically lays out, it will be somewhat clear to you of what our lives will be like in terms of having a body and the difference that it makes for us today, here and now. And it should make a difference. One thing we know in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is that our bodies will be made for heaven. They are made for heaven now. and Forever they will especially be perfected towards heaven. And the way that this body will look like after we die and when we reside with the Lord eternally is first and foremost is that our body will be our real body. I think uh, it's, it's very easy to perhaps sort of question or hypothesize that our bodies will be changed in a way in which sometimes you hear this, that we, we turn into angels. Spoke about angelic frolicking before, and whenever you read those books or hear those movies, so often when people so-called rise from the, the dead and have these visions of what that time during that time of death looks like, many instances it's, oh, I saw people who turned into angels who had halos or wings. But Paul makes it so clear for us, the Bible makes it so clear that it's not going to be that there's a transformation to some sort of 
other being or some sort of angelic being. The Mormons believe actually that you are going to be turned, if you believe in the Mormon religion and believe in Jesus Christ and God and their version of the Trinity, which isn't a Trinity at all, that one day you will be your own God and you will inhabit your own planet and you will actually be another God next to the God of this world, which is, his name is Elohim. It's a whole nother story. But that's not what the Bible shows us to be true. Instead, the Bible is very clear that you will be you. And that's really good news for us. It's, you don't have to think abstractly about this all. In fact, one way we know this is we see in John chapter 21, verse 7, when Jesus was walking with his disciples on Emmaus Road, they were walking with him, and it says that John, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So there was a clear recognition after the resurrection of Jesus. They knew who he was. But you have to understand, and we'll talk about this soon, is that he was different as well. So there is a difference about him, but there is also a, res a clear-cut resemblance of who he is. So we're not going to be walking around in the new earth going, I have no idea who these people are, and I don't even know what type of creature this person is. Clearly, the Bible is very distinctive about the fact that our personality, our character, our being is really us. John records in Revelation 21.7, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is to say that your name, if you are in Christ, your name will be written in the book of life, that you as a distinct individual person the very person you are today is whom you will be forever and ever. I don't, again, I don't know if that's good news for you or not, but for me, that's good. I want to be me. I actually want to be me eternally. And that's the promise of scripture. Secondly, is that our body will be a resurrected and restored body. That when we go to heaven and then eventually to the new earth in our final state, there is a transformation that occurs to our bodies. And that transformation first requires a resurrection, just like Jesus was resurrected. Because, as we all know, our physical bodies in this world, once we die, actually decays. It decomposes. Perhaps it could be burned into ashes. For some of our loved ones, that has happened. Maybe it's lost at sea. So, Paul asked the question that some might have asked about the resurrection in verse 35. If you look at verse 35, he asked this question. Again, he's very logical in this process. And he says, how are the, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come from? And Paul's essentially saying, do we become zombies? <laughs> I mean, that's what he has just this imagination of and, and the logical processing of what happens after death because Jesus died, he rose again. Those who believe in him are promised that we too will rise. Then if we rise, then what does our bodies look like when we rise? Are we the living dead? If it's dead people walking around, that doesn't sound too nice. It doesn't sound calming or something to look forward to. But especially when you think about the fact that we're talking about decayed bodies. And 
for most of us, when we think of the dead, we have very sterile ideas of the dead because there are funerals and there are coffins. And even if you decide to, um, to put your loved one's body to the fires, you know, and cremate that body, even that is hidden and sort of in a very quiet, solemn place. But in Paul's day, when someone died, they were sort of sometimes embalmed if you were wealthy enough, but many times not. And they were often set up, laid down in a home, and over a period of five days, people would come in. And sometimes they would uh, take that body and put different oils and fragrances around, spices to mask the odor, but it was very difficult to do so. And if you've ever seen a dead body, you know how different that body looks. It doesn't look like the person, really. When the spirit and the life of that person is gone, that person does not look the same as the person you remembered that person to be. And so for Paul, when he's imagining this and he's thinking about the resurrection of the dead, he's asking the rhetorical question that everyone else he knows is asking. Am I going to come back all decayed and decrepit and disgusting? There were vastly different ways. In fact, Martha, when she puts to rest her brother Lazarus in the tomb and Jesus comes and says, I'm going to raise him. This is what she says in verse 39 of John 11. Lord, by this time, there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. So Paul has this in mind, you might say, as a backdrop to thinking about and thinking of the church who's asking the question, if people are dead and decayed, what does that body look like? Paul answers this question by talking about the resurrected body in verses 36 through 38. And what he does is he decides to use a metaphor and he compares the dead body to a kernel of grain. And he says, this kernel of grain is like a seed and the seed has a protective covering and the covering protects all the nutrients that are found that are stored in that seed to eventually be released to produce a gigantic tree. Most of the people who lived in Paul's day understood this. This is a very practical metaphor. And the seed is alive until it goes into the ground and germinates. And when it does, under optimal conditions, that seed essentially dies. The covering is broken and decayed and dead. And then when the stem releases and produces leaves, it comes alive, it renews, it restores. In a sense, it resurrects. And Paul's essentially saying the same thing. The human earthly body is a seed, a bare kernel. And until somebody dies, you will never see or understand what that kernel is meant to be. That's a picture of death that perhaps we might never think about, especially if we have lost loved ones or even faced death. And I hope you remember this as you do consider your last breaths. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful text to read to someone who is dying or for you to have it maybe on audio in your, if you should have the opportunity to 
be conscious in your last days and to be able to even set up your death, to have this chapter of the Bible read to you, to remember that death for the believer of Christ is not truly the end of things, but it is the seed that is implanted into the ground, dies to be resurrected to life. One commentator describes the apple seed and says that the apple seed contains all the DNA for what that apple tree is going to be like. And so too, that our dead body contains the spiritual DNA, you might say, of what our resurrected life is going to be like, our glorified life. John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur, he adds, like a seed, the resurrected body is sown and is raised. Human graveyards are seed plots for the resurrection of the dead. But the resurrection body is new, changed in virtually every way imaginable. It was sown in death and decay. It is raised to be imperishable. It was buried as a thing of defilement and gloriously placed under the earth. But it is raised as something glorious. This should give us context then to understand why later on in the very the same chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul so enthusiastically says, Oh, death, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It has been swallowed by the dirt to be made alive and anew and resurrected. For Paul, death is an opportunity. Christians, if we think this way, Think about how it empowers and unleashes our lives to live it to the fullest rather than be so succumbed to the world's pressures and lies and sorrows and anxieties. For Paul, the graveyard is a garden. The graveyard is a garden. I don't know if we've ever, I hope, moving forward, you see that to be true. When you go visit your loved ones, and if they are believers of Jesus Christ, that if they should be in the ground, you might say, that is a beautiful garden. One day to be sprouting the glorious bodies that are to come. Also in verse 38, Paul writes, God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. Clearly, this passage shows us that it is our own body that is to be raised. There will come a day where we will not be so fixated on this earthly body. And think about how much we are fixated on this earthly body. I mean, I was just imagining all of the different items and industries that are dedicated to our physical body appearing, looking, feeling a certain way from gymnasiums, and marathons and races and health products and cosmetics and plastic surgery and vitamins and um, the whole healthcare industry and medical professionals and plastic surgery, the hair salons and, and the barbers and the list is endless. All the different products that go alongside that billions upon billions of dollars all to make our body appear a certain way. Paul says, God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of body, its own body. God has chosen this body for us. I don't think this means that we were going to have a complete different body than we are today. It will be similar, 
But at the same time, it will be different. In other words, there is something of our physical body that when you see that person, you're going to say, yeah, that's you. I know that's you. But at the same time, there's going to be something so different as well. If you've ever met, maybe you got to know a little child when they were born or young and a toddler, um, nursery, whatever it might be, whatever age, and then they suddenly move away. And so you don't see them for, say, 15 years. So they went from being a five-year-old that you remember, and then suddenly you have the opportunity to meet them and they're 20 years old. You ever looked at that person and you say, Wow, you look the same but different. <laughs> that happens. I, I don't know. Um, it's probably happened to you. The older you get, that doesn't happen as much, but it still happens. But the younger you are, and then you go away and we'll come back, and suddenly you're just so different, a relative. There is a, a common physical appearance that that person has that is familiar to you. And yet it is so different. In fact, it is so different that you could walk alongside a street and the two of you pass and you might not recognize that person until you just take a moment and stare at them for maybe five minutes and say, wait a second, you're so-and-so. See, that's not so hard to imagine, right? Because it actually happens to us. Well, very much more so, the resurrected body, the glorified body is going to be one that, on the one hand, is so familiar, but on the other hand, is radically different. It makes sense why when the disciples are walking along the road with Jesus to Emmaus, there's, they sort of think it's Jesus, but they're not really sure. You get, if you read that story in John chapter 21, you, you get the sense of their just the struggle that they're having. I want to say it's Jesus, but I don't want to mistake him, you know? And I don't want them to think I'm not sure. So they're really battling in their hearts because it looks like him, but is it really him? That's the essence of what it means to have a restored body is that, and a resurrected body, that we're going to be so wondrously the same and yet so wondrously different. Another way that Paul describes this body is that it will be a spiritual body. And we see this in verses 42 to 44. So is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This will be a physical body. And this physical body will be us. But what will be different is that Paul describes it as a spiritual body, that there is a spiritual nature to this physical body. Again, we get the sense of this, especially if you've ever gone to a funeral or seen a dead body, a loved one who has died. And you look at that body and you say, as much as the morticians try the best through cosmetics, they often say, bring an outfit that maybe they look good in, they loved, and they put that outfit on that dead body. They put on makeup, they try to comb the hair, fix it, put on glasses, whatever it might be that you remember. And you look at that body and you say, often the phrase that I hear is, they did an okay job. 
That's, they, they, they tried their best. Because it always is like that. There's a, a sense of that body as that person. But really, you know, something is seriously missing. I mean, think about it for a moment. Other than the heart stopping and the brain stopping. And, and let's say there's no tragedy involved, no, nothing that mutilates the body. And so it's just simply the heart and brain stopping. Why does that body look so different after not that long? And I know there is the product of decay, but there is more than decay. There is a life-giving spirit. And so we understand that if that spirit within us, the soul, in some way physically impacts the way a person looks, then surely when we are resurrected, the new soul that is restored and revived and, and perfected is going to so impact our physical appearance that it will radically impact also everything about us. The fact that there's, we have a spiritual body has perhaps other effects. One thing we know about Jesus is in John chapter 20, verse 19, we're told that Jesus went through a wall. He appeared suddenly in a room. We don't know exactly what that means. Does it mean that he literally walked through the wall? Did he suddenly go from one place to an, did he teleport? Don't have the answer to that exactly, but what we do know is that it is quite possible that perhaps most likely that the law of physics will be radically different with a resurrected body. If we maybe question and say, well, that's just regarding Jesus. That's not referring to us. What John tells us in 1 John 3, 2 is this, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What John is saying is that not just we're going to be like him morally, but we're going to be like him as a, as a resurrected person. That's who we're going to be, just like him. And in that same way, might we be able to do what I have had many dreams about? Literally, I've had dreams of flying or jumping really high. I don't know if any of you have had those dreams. They can be good or bad depending on what happens in that dream. But will we fly? Maybe. Will we be able to walk anywhere just like Jesus walk on the water? Is that why we don't need to fear the sea and the ocean? We'll talk a lot about that when we talk about the new heavens and the new earth. There's a lot we're going to explore in this new place. That's why don't, don't be so discouraged if you can't visit every single beautiful place in this world because eternally you'll be visiting every single beautiful place. Far better than what we see even today. Will we be walking in the sky? Will we be walking through things? I'm not exactly sure. Is it possible? Yes. There is so much to say about what our physical bodies are going to experience, and it will experience everything that our physical bodies experience today with infinitely more heightened sensitivity towards joy. So if whatever food that tastes good, and I'm sorry for all of you who are not eating croissants because of dieting, one day, no more dieting. Dieting is for a broken body and a broken world. Steaks, 
Well, we'll talk about steaks. Are we going to eat steaks? Do animals die in heaven? Like, why would you... Wait, a steak is so good. And yet, does an animal need to die? How do, do we all, are we going to all eat impossible burgers in heaven? You know, these are questions that I'm sure, if you really think about it and process it, we did this at Heavenly Desserts. The more we started thinking about things, the more the questions started piling up. You know, is it just going to be soybean burgers in heaven? Some of us are saying, that's my heaven. And someone else is saying, that's disgusting. That's hell, not heaven. So we, we have to really examine and, and think about the fact that every single thing we're going to experience is heightened to joy, to the fullness of all that God wants to provide for us, which he will. And there is nothing in this world that can match that. Another thing about the spiritual body, and this is an important part of it, is that the word spiritual, actually, if you look at the text deeply, and it's a whole story, but examine it, it's not just spiritual as in a soul. It's spirit-filled. It's the big S, the Holy Spirit. What distinguishes this body is that in this world, the Holy Spirit indwells in us, but there is a sinful body that has been affected by sin and broken. And because of that brokenness, it's on this downward trajectory of decay. As long as we are in this world, we decay with our physical bodies. No matter how much you work out, how much you diet, how much you buy some sort of anti-aging cream or you know, get plastic surgery, by the time you're about 100, it won't matter. It really won't. And so what happens is that the Holy Spirit indwells, but the body is broken. The resurrected body, the Holy Spirit indwells and he empowers fully without any restriction to the brokenness of that body. So in that sense, this life-giving spirit that Paul writes about in verse 45, who is with Jesus, is now the same life-giving spirit who empowers you forever and ever and ever. And there is nothing in this world, not steroids, not kombucha, not plutonium, not adamantium. There is nothing in this world or make-believe world that will be far greater in empowering, empowering your body than the Holy Spirit of God. And He will be the one who will guide you, lead you, protect you, fill you to the fullest possible way without any restriction. And therefore, you will be free to enjoy Him forever and to enjoy the world forever without any fear of harm or suffering or death. That is something to look forward to and to live for. Next is that it will be a perfect body. Perfect body. Now, here's the thing is that I feel like when we hear that word perfect, you have an image in your mind. An image of some hulking man. Some supermodel of a woman. And you think, will I have that body and face? Will I be ripped as a man and just have deltoids and all sorts of like a 10 pack. And is that what heaven is going to be like with a bunch of people, all bodybuilders and supermodels? Is that heaven? No, <laughs> no. You know, the problem with our world is that we have a, a very poor view of what perfection truly is. 
And we have a poor view of what beauty is. The world's view of beauty has destroyed so many people. Has influenced people in a way that has harmed lives and shattered, really, the images of men and women. Destroyed and even led to depression, suicide, death. I had the opportunity to go to Seoul, South Korea um, recently. And, you know, it's, Seoul is considered to be the plastic surgery capital of the world. At the airport, they have a plastic surgery clinic where some tourists go. If at the last minute they want to get plastic surgery, they can get it. And I was standing in a marketplace there. And as I was sitting there eating some random food, and it was a crowded marketplace and all sorts of women passed by. And what I couldn't help but doing is looking at their faces. And you know what was interesting? They all looked the same. The same. They all had the same complexion, the same nose, the same eyes. It was remarkable. The same cheekbones. It's an incredibly sad thing to think that Beauty has a standard, and the standard is one particular person, and everyone tries to match what that standard looks like as to what is beautiful. And so all cosmetics, surgeries, and what was interesting is I can't tell you how many women I saw with bandages all over their face, walking around, and it was as if it was completely normal and normative to life. Because in a society where beauty is based on a particular standard with everyone trying to meet it through cosmetics and through plastic surgery, suddenly the whole society has this idea that if I don't match that level of beauty, I will be rejected. I will be rejected at a job. I will be rejected to find a spouse. I will be rejected by my children, my parents, and culture and society at large. And that's the world that we live in. You know, it's, it's interesting. I went to a Stone Ridge Mall the other day, and there's this huge Innisfree. It's a Korean beauty shop that it's, I mean, it's huge. And you know, malls today are dying. How many of us really go to Stone Ridge Mall that often uh, today because of this one store called Amazon? But, uh, you know, out of this so-called dying mall, there's this gigantic new store that's opening. And I was thinking... This is coming around the world. This is what we live with. And I'm afraid that women and men, but especially women, and I know for all of you women, it's so easy to succumb to that idea because the thinking is, I need to look like that in order to be someone special, to be someone worthwhile, to be thought of as pretty, beautiful, attractive, think teenagers go through this, especially to try to dress a certain way because everyone else dresses that way, to try to look a certain way because everyone else looks that way. This is happening all throughout the world and through every life stage. And what we see in this passage is that, yes, we will have a perfect body and it will not come by the surgeon's knife or by going to the gym every day or by dieting. I don't think the perfect body means that we're going to be super muscular or an exquisite beauty. 
Paul says in verse 49, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's really the key to show us what the perfect body looks like. Because one of a few things about Jesus is that at least as an earthly man, he wasn't someone who stood out as dramatically handsome. In fact, quite the opposite. He was quite plain. That's what scripture tells us. And yet, when he resurrected, he became someone that people were stunned by. If once we go to heaven, the beauty that you will possess will be so stunning that if we were to see that person, our natural instinct, our reaction would be we would fall down and worship you. Because we would think, I can't believe what I'm seeing. It is so spectacular. But it's not based on a perfection of what the world deems as physical perfection. I love the way one commentator, theologian, Anthony Thistleton, he talks about something called static perfection. And basically, what he says is that the world believes in static perfection. That is perfection that never changes. So again, there's a standard of beauty and perfection. And that standard never changes. And so what happens is that that anchor of perfection is what everyone tries to veer towards and to gain. And they never gain it. They try, but they never gain it. And in fact, if you were to question that bodybuilder build or that supermodel, how many of them are perfectly happy and enjoying life? So few. Very few. But that's the problem with our world is that we have this view of perfection that is static. But that's not what the Bible shows us as perfection. Perfection in the Bible is always progressive. It always moves forward. And I think it's easy to think that, well, when we go to heaven, does it mean that everything stays the same? You reached perfection, so now you just stay where you are. No, that's not heaven. Because actually, if that were the case, I think all of us would be pretty miserable. Whenever you attain your goal and you reach it, what do you always want to do? You look for a new one. No one is ever happy winning the NBA championship the next year. They're always, oh boy, I'm not the winner anymore. There's always a new pursuit, a new desire. It's that newness and that progression that gives us our joy and delight. And so what Paul is saying is that this progress towards the Lord, it is an eternal progress. Because we will never be exactly like him. But we will be perfect in this change. So, might this mean that there can be a, a baby in heaven? I think the answer to that is possibly yes. And there are reasons why. But if, for example, you had lost a baby, and I've had a, a number of discussions with people about this, you lost a baby as a, they were very young, and you might say, will I be able to see my baby in heaven? Will I be able to hold my baby? Will I be able to cherish my baby? And I believe the answer to that is yes. There's many reasons. It would take another message to talk about this. Uh, we talked a lot about it during Heavenly Desserts, but I do think that, is it possible that you will see that baby grow? If we take this view of 
perfection being progressive. It's that every life stage, there can be perfection through it. That there actually can be a perfect childhood. There can actually be a perfect teen years and perfect adulthood and moving forward. And it remains progressive, but always learning, always growing. That's the Holy Spirit's power. What he does is he makes life eternally constantly beautiful and joyous and delightful. And so you will have your beautiful eyes. But the problem with us is that our eyes, our nose, our mouth. Society says you have to look like that person to be beautiful. And so internally in your heart, it's this constant sense of lack and disappointment and struggle because there's envy, there's jealousy. There's also condemnation and guilt, shaming, and all of that comes together and it pours out in us a sense of hopelessness and despair. But you, especially you, does this mean that we're exactly going to be, because we're probably thinking, I don't want my exact body. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking that. I want to be a little bit more in shape. I want to have a little, you know, maybe I could have straighter teeth or my hair doesn't have to be so, like, so peppery white. You know, that, that there is a, it might be clear changes, but it doesn't mean the perfection of the way the world views it. And what is the most joyous is that you're not going to be disturbed by it or struggle with it. You're not going to be frustrated and no one else is going to see you as lesser. In fact, they will see you as so glorious, so wondrous. The perfect body is not about muscles and jawline and cheekbones and hips and waistlines and legs. If that were the, be the case, heaven would be dull. As I said, when I was looking at all those women's faces, I thought, this is quite boring, quite dull to see. Usually people watching is fun. But when you see everyone looking exactly the same, that's called cloning. And cloning, even if it's the most beautiful man and the most beautiful woman, and if there was a such thing, if, if heaven was cloning of the most beautiful man and beautiful woman, we would be that person. Guess what happens? You're not beautiful. You're exactly ordinary. Do you see that? We have made beauty based on a standard that is never beautiful ultimately and eternally. And so how can we think that way now? How can we buy into the lies? It should not be that our culture and society and television and media determines by this clothing, wear these type, wear this type of skirt. You need to go out and get this bikini. You need to go and work out 30, 30 hours a week and try to get that 10 pack. And when you do, then you'll really be someone special. Don't know if that actually is going to be the case at all. Doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of our bodies and we should, but be mindful that this body will decay and there's going to be something far better for you. Another thing we know about this perfect body is that there will be racial distinctions. In fact, Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9 says that all tribes and tongues and nations will gather around the throne of the Lamb. But oh, that day when 
we will truly see each other without any distinction, except for the fact that we know him. And when we have that, that's what the church is. You know, the church in some way is meant to represent heaven eternally. What we experience now is supposed to be what we enjoy forever. And that's why we press forward to unite under the bond of Christ, despite differences of life stage and personality and ethnicity and socioeconomic class. Not because that's a good thing in our postmodern, diverse, multicultural culture, but it's because that's heaven. And the church is heaven's representative. It's meant to show the world, this is what you have to look forward to. And this is why we cannot buy into discrimination, prejudices, bigotry, based on any type of division, because that's not our eternal destiny, our home. That's not what we're going to look like. So, like David in Psalm 139, 14, I hope we can really humbly proclaim, just like him, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what you should do every time you look in the mirror. I praise you, O Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you can't say that about yourself, then you're not really understanding who you are, what God has made you to be, and what you're going to look like eternally. This is the body that is made for heaven. But there is also a body that was broken for heaven. We have so much to look forward to in heaven, but we must never forget that this eternally wondrous, perfect body that you will have, yours forever, is only possible because another body that was eternally perfect was broken for you. It was disfigured for you. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, 2-3, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. We didn't notice Him. He was so ordinary and plain, perhaps maybe not, good-looking at all, quite the opposite. But not just that, throughout his life he was like this, and then eventually he would be broken, crucified, bloodied, pierced, all of this so that you might enjoy a perfected, resurrected body which you will be enthralled with forever and ever. If we get this, then the promise of God's word is that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Because we forget that Christ's body was broken for us, we're so consumed with what we look like, how we appear, and it dramatically impacts everything that we do. But he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let me close with this illustration by Tim Keller. Imagine somebody gives you a gift, a house on the ocean. And it's not just any ocean, it's this craggy coast with this magnificent sunset every day, just drop-dead gorgeous sunset. And the that house is right up close to the edge where you can just see the glory of that sunset. You get to enjoy it. But there's a problem with the house. The problem is that 
the plumbing is broken. So you start working in the basement on the plumbing. And then every so often you start realizing, wait a second, the garage, I have to repaint the garage. So you have to start, you start scraping the garage and repainting it. And then suddenly the toilet doesn't work. And you think, I got to change out the toilets. And you're spending now all the time working on this house day in, day out, years, decades. You're still working on it. And eventually it just gets so taxing. So the sun is setting and rising every day, but you're not enjoying it at all. You're miserable because all you're doing is spending time in the basement, working on the plumbing and the painting and the toilets. And then you start saying, what is this all about? Why did I do this? That's what Tim Keller calls, that's so often what our Christianity is like. That Christianity requires so often the mundane. Reading the Bible. Praying. Spending time with people. Maybe you need to wake up earlier to do that. And we say to ourselves, ah, this is so hard, so tiring, so difficult. And it becomes dry and dull. And it's so hard to do that. It's mundane maintenance. It's cleaning and fixing toilet bowls and scraping paint every day. But the problem is, Your house is on the ocean. There's a magnificent sunset. And the reason why you should not mind the work is you go outside and you look and you see and you can't help but be in awe. And that awe every day is so wondrous that when you go back down to work on that toilet bowl, it's not so bad. Actually, it makes you hum. It makes you just have vigor. It makes you say, I want to do this because I'm ready to go back and take another look. And this constantly cycles in your life. How often we are so busy with our house. How often we forget the grand view of God. We look at ourselves and we say, oh, my, I'm getting, you're pulling out your gray hair. You're tweezing your eyes or you're at the gym working out so hard because You have to look a certain way. You're spending all your time dieting. I can't eat this. I can't eat that. I'm miserable, but I'm going to do it anyway. So much of our lives spent on making this, this body, that as for those of us who are slowly, you know, going up, now we're, we've hit the apex and we're coming down and you feel the aches and pains. I woke up the other day. Um, I was sitting in my chair typing and I got up and suddenly I couldn't move. My back was hurting and I had to put salon pass on it and do all these things. I mean, it stunk. I'm just thinking, I just got up from a chair. This is sad. And there's more of that to come. If this is what we're living for, this, and we're spending so much of our time with this, We are spending time on toilets. We're forgetting the grand view. God has given his life through his son so that we can enjoy him forever. You will never regret knowing him, delighting in him, remembering that his body was broken for you. That's why we have communion. I don't know if you know this. Because I am a natural forgetter. 
I need two things to remind, three actually, to remind myself of God's grace in my life, of the picture, the sunset. I need people around me who point me to him. I need the proclamation of God's word that just sinks deep into my soul. And the people also help me to process. So when you leave and if you just leave and listen to a sermon, you're not going to remember it as soon as you leave. You'll forget it. But if you just find one person say, hey, so what did you think about dot, 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 and have a conversation, that will really help you to retain what you learn. And the third thing that I need, I need communion. I need the sacraments. Communion baptism, those two point me to the fact that Jesus gave everything. And I see the sunset again. And I hope you do that as we take communion together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the broken body of your son. It's what empowers us by your Holy Spirit to remember this world is not our home. This body, it will decay, but it will also rise. It will rise again. And it will come to you with outstretched arms and praise. I will one day fall on my knees, O oh Lord. And I will be so ecstatically joyous because you have saved me for yourself. You've saved us. And you've given us not just a new body, but a new mind, a new life. You have borne the burdens. Your body was broken so that ours would be made whole forever. And for those Lord, who are condemning themselves or always trying to match themselves to others around the world, I pray that you would guard us from trying to be someone that is not even perfect, not even beautiful, not in the way that you see beauty and not in the way that is lasting beauty, but help us to see the beauty of Christ. And in that, I know we will find our everlasting joy we will be content. Oh, I pray that Wellspring Church would be filled with content people. Remembering that you are so good to us. One day, we want to worship. We want to fall. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.